I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we really dig into the meat of scripture. I'm Aaron Bishop here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hello. And today we are going to tackle three chapters, Job chapters 22 through 24. So this is quite a bit more text than we generally do because we're trying to get both the friend and Job's answer in one episode. And Job takes two chapters to answer this week. And we're going to find that he does so for a specific purpose. And chapter 24, if we were to read it on its own, knowing everything we knew before, it gets really confusing because he is basically repeating what the friends have been saying about the wicked throughout most of the chapter. And if you don't compare it to what he said in the previous chapter, and then compare both of those chapters with the chapter of Eliphaz in chapter 22, you completely miss what Job is trying to do in chapter 24. Mm -hmm. It actually took us a little bit of time of just sitting and talking about it, hatching it out. What's going on here? It seems like Job is agreeing with all of the friends now. Right. It seems like he's going back and saying, yeah, that's how it works. Exactly. You guys are all right. And then, but you really have to look at the entire three chapters together in order to actually see the whole picture. Right. You have to look at the three chapters together, and then you have to drill down to two specific verses in Job's response in chapter 24 that kind of prove his point or that make his point and show the difference between what his friends are saying and what Job is saying. Uh, another thing that we're going to see this week is uh, Eliphaz. The gloves are off, buddy. The gloves are off. Uh, yeah, he's he is not pulling his punches now. Right. Previously with the other two friends, it was all uh, theoretical, almost. It's like the wicked man does this and the wicked man does that and he suffers this and he suffers that. Yeah, it's all implied that uh, right. that it's Job. Well, Eliphaz does not hold back. He is right in Job's face. It is you who have done these things. Yeah, you do this, you do that. This is all you. And, and he lays some very... Uh, heavy accusations. Heavy, yeah. Some really heavy accusations on Job. Of things that Job has done, apparently, that Eliphaz now somehow knows about all these evil things that Job has done. And he just straight up, flat out calls Job a wicked man. But he also proves at the end of his discourse that he still is giving Job a, a way out, it, as opposed to the way that Bildad ends his discourse. 
Um, because he's Bill Dad's like, you just don't know God. And it's all, you know, you can you can just see him sitting there crossing his arms, looking down his nose at right. Job. Whereas Eliphaz is saying, dude, just repent, just turn, and then you will see prosperity again, and so on and so on. So it it still shows there is still a heart for Job, even if it's misplaced. Right. And and in the midst of this, that call for repentance, I mean, that's huge. We're all, we all kind of know that uh, growing up in Christianity, you always hear repent, you know, there's nothing you've done that's too bad that you can't repent from, mm -hmm. um, at least in those churches that actually preach repentance. Uh, uh, that being said, if you're in a church that doesn't preach or teach repentance, mm, get out of leave. that church. Yeah, yeah that, that is that is not the Christian church. But regardless, Eliphaz here, he, he's opening the door for repentance. And he's completely wrong in why Job is suffering. He's completely wrong to throw these accusations at Job and to accuse him of doing terrible things. He's also completely wrong in his assessment of what will happen if Job does repent. Right. And and so, but he he does have that call for repentance, which is it says something about him. It, it, says do, something it does. Good it about says something him. about him. And if we'll remember Eliphaz uh, previously, uh, when we were trying to kind of distill their their arguments and their personalities in chapter fifteen, Eliphaz was filled with zeal. It was it was his zeal mm -hmm. that drove him to defend God, and. To attack Job, and that zeal is just pouring out now, uh, because he feels that God has been absolutely one hundred percent disrespected by Job, and right. so he is zealous to defend God. And now, and in this one, he's less defending God and more attacking Job. But even still, it is it is that zeal. It's that desire for truth desire for right the right way right and unfortunately his zeal is all stacked on top of a, a pack of lies right. so uh with that being said let's go ahead and read these chapters and then let's come back and discuss these in greater detail job chapters 22 through 24 then eliphaz the temanite responded saying can a man be useful to god can even a wise man benefit him what pleasure is it to Shaddai if you are righteous? Or what gain if your ways are blameless? Is it because of your reverence that he corrects you and he brings judgment against you? Is not your wickedness great? And is there no end to your iniquity? For you took pledges from your brothers for no reason. You stripped the naked of their clothing. You gave the weary no water to drink. And from the hungry you withhold bread. Though you were a mighty man owning land, an honored man living on it, you sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the arms of orphans. That is why snares surround you and why sudden fear terrifies you, or why it is so dark that you cannot see and why a flood of water covers you. Is not God in the heights of heaven and see the lofty stars how high they are? Yet you say, what does God know? Does he judge through such thick darkness? Thick clouds veil him so he does not see as he walks in the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? 
They were snatched away before their time, their foundations washed away by a river. They said to God, Leave us alone. What can Shaddai do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see and rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our foes are cut off, and fire consumes their abundance. Reconcile now with him, and have shalom. In this way prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth, and store up his words in your heart. If you return to Shaddai, you will be restored. If you remove iniquity far from your tent, and throw your gold in the dust, and the gold of Ophir to the rocks in the wadis, then Shaddai will be your gold, and your precious silver. Surely then Shaddai will be your delight, and you will lift your face to God. You will pray to him, and he will hear you. You will fulfill your vows. What you decide will be done, and light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low, and you say, Lift them up, then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who was not innocent, who will be delivered by the cleanness of your hands. Then Job answered, Even today my complaint is rebellious. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would lay out my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know with what words he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would only pay attention to me. There the upright can reason with him, and there I would forever be delivered from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is in the north, I cannot perceive him. When he turns south, I do not see him. Yet he knows the way that I take. If he tested me, I would come out as gold. My foot has held closely to his steps. I have kept his way and have not strayed. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He is unchangeable, and who can change him? Whatever his soul desires, he does, for he fulfills the decree against me, and many such things are with him. That is why I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. Shaddai has terrified me, yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor by the thick darkness that covers my face. Why are times not stored up by Shaddai? And why do those who know him not see his days? Some remove the boundary stones. They steal flocks and pasture them. They drive away the orphan's donkey and take the widow's ox as a pledge. They turn the needy off the path. They force the poor of the land into hiding. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, they go about their work, foraging prey in the desert as food for their children. They reap their fodder in the field and glean in the vineyard of the wicked. Without clothing they spend the night naked, without covering against the cold. They are drenched by mountain rains and hug the rock for lack of shelter. The orphan is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is taken as a pledge. They wander about naked without clothing and go hungry while they carry sheaves. They press oil between the terraces. They tread wine presses but are thirsty. 
From the city men groan, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God charges no one with folly. These are those who rebel against the light, who do not recognize its ways or stay in its paths. The murderer rises with the light, kills the poor and needy, and in the night becomes a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for twilight, thinking, No one will see me, and he disguises his face. When it is dark, they break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They do not know the light, for to them all morning is as thick darkness. They are familiar with the terrors of thick darkness. He is foam on the surface of water. Their portion of the land is cursed. No one turns toward their vineyards. As heat and drought snatch away the melted snow, so Sheol takes away those who have sinned. The womb forgets him. The worm feasts on him. No longer will he be remembered. But like a tree, wickedness is broken. He feeds on the barren and childless woman and shows no kindness to the widow. But he drags off the mighty by his power. He raises up, yet no one has assurance of life. He allows him to rest in the sense of security, but his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are like heads of grain. They wither. Now, if not so, who can prove me a liar and reduce my speech to nothing? Man, the chapter 24, it just seems to... Oh, like we said in the opening, if you don't know what Job is saying, if you don't understand what he's attempting to do with this speech, it gets really confusing because it's very murky. Yeah, he seems to be repeating exactly what Eliphaz has said previously. Uh, maybe not exactly, but he, he's carrying on the same themes. Um, so let's let's really dig into this and and let's see what's going on here because the way that Job is approaching this is actually pretty cool. It's definitely a compare and contrast essay, right? And we see in 23, he's saying, well, this is what I do. And then in 24, that's what the wicked do. Right. Right. Well, let's start in 22 because Eliphaz, he goes on and on and on about Job. Right. He gets really offensive to a person who's innocent. Being accused of stuff like this can be downright offensive. Is it because of your fear for him that he reproves you or that he enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil great? Is there no end to your crookedness? For you have taken pledges from your brother for nothing and you strip the naked of their garments. And he has no actual proof of any of this. Yeah, proof. He, he, this is completely baseless accusations here. Right. You don't give the weary water to drink. and You have withheld bread from the hungry. You yeah. sent widows away empty-handed and crushed, crushed the arms yeah. of orphans. He is accusing Job of the worst of the worst offenses of the Torah. Right. I mean, just horrible. Yeah. And he says, that is why snares surround right, you. Right, right. It's because of your evil that you're facing your, your situation, Job. Wake up and see. And Well, he opens with, with this idea that God doesn't need you. Yeah. 
And uh, while that is true, God doesn't need any of us. Right. But he loves us and he wants to be with us. And he's made a way for us to be able to be in community with him. Right. So it's not about what God can gain by us being faithful to him. Yeah, and that's super important because it's it's super common in Christian circles and Torah circles and in whatever circles to have this idea of if I do the right things, God will love me. If yeah. I do it the right way, if I if I or if I this, don't, if I keep this law just right, or if I don't, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna fall on his bad side, and terrible things are gonna happen. Right, and that's just false on its face. It's false. We do nothing to earn God's favor. God chose us for no other reason than he just wanted to. Right. God extends his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies when he chose to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. Right. We had no, we can't even choose to love him without him choosing us first without him at least drawing us first right now i differ from calvinists because calvinists will say we'll see only those who are saved as god as those who god has chosen and he the irresistible grace he draws them towards towards himself and i disagree with that i think god offers salvation to a huge cross-section of people who haven't outright rejected him and there are some who end up outright rejecting him, even though he offers their, his grace to them. Mm-hmm. There is a matter of faith. It's not a work, though. We can't we can't consider faith to be a work, because uh, I mean, Paul even contrasts it: faith and works. They're, they're two different things. Right. And the the matter of swearing James allegiance, right? The matter of swearing allegiance isn't something you do. It's not a work. It's not of you. It's not. Um, it's not you earning your salvation in any way. It's you saying, thank you. I appreciate your gift. Thank you. I accept it as mine. And now I want to do anything and everything I can for you. Right. And that's the follow-up. And that's where Eliphaz is saying that Job has failed. Job is not doing everything for God. He's not acting in God's right. ways. He is He is di- acting directly contrary to God's laws. And if we actually track through it, when we get towards the end of it, uh, starting in verse 21, he then begins to offer this this sort of uh, repentance that Rebecca was talking about earlier to Job. He says, be of service to him and be at peace, and thereby blessing shall come to you. So, so be of service to God and blessing will come to you. Accept the, what does yours say in verse 22? Accept instruction from his mouth and store up his words in your heart. Right. So accept instructions from his mouth, store up words in your heart. The the word there for instruction is the Hebrew word Torah. Accept Torah from his mouth and store up his words in your heart. That reminds me very directly of Psalm 119. I was just going to. entire Psalm, which includes store up his words in your heart. I have laid up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's mm-hmm. one of those. But the entire psalm is a love song for God's Torah, his command. It's a song praising what God has given, the the grace that he extended to Israel in the wilderness of a covenant with him, of being welcomed into his family and being joined in marriage to God. And as we see in the Torah, some people decided they didn't really want it. 
even after they had tasted it and seen it. But then going on, he he, he then says, if you repent, he basically says, you're going to be rich again. You'll be wealthy again, but you got to repent. Right. It's right back to this whole prosperity gospel. Right. That they are so steeped in that they can't see past it. Right. Them and Joel Osteen. They're they're <laughs> cut of the same cloth. And uh and it's unfortunate because because this is this is the religion, the theology of their culture. And and as we saw previously, Job himself even believed this in the beginning. Right, but I think he's getting to the point now where he doesn't. Yeah. That is that has changed. Right, yeah. and and I think that was part of his huge struggle in the beginning. Why why he was having such a hard time turning the corner is because his mind was telling him you're suffering, and you suffer because you're evil, and you're suffering, therefore you're evil. But then he goes, but I'm not evil. Right, I haven't done the evil things. I haven't done wrong. So why am I suffering? Right, and it just kept spinning circles. Right, and he's he's trying to come to terms with it, and I think he I think is. He has. He's coming I, to terms yeah. with it. I don't think he still quite understands why, and he's not going to understand why. Even after God talks to him, he's not going to understand why all this happened. He's mm -hmm. just going to understand. Okay, God chose to punish me for some reason that's far beyond my comprehension. But in twenty three, that's where Job goes. Do we want to talk about the middle section of Eliphaz? This section is confusing to me. Twelve through twenty. I don't. I don't really quite understand it. I guess he's speaking as if he is speaking for the unjust people, saying, "What does God know? Does He judge through such thick darkness?" And and you say these things, and it's confusing. It's really confusing. Yeah. So in in uh, twelve through. 12 through 14, he does seem to be putting words in Job's mouth about yeah. operating in darkness and God doesn't see us because the clouds are too thick or it's too dark or, you know, he's like the gods of the nations and, and he mm -hmm. just doesn't notice. But then in verse uh, 15. Well, he goes back he to, then, appeal then, to appeal to tradition. Will you keep the old way? Well, do you, do you keep the old ways which wicked men have trod? You're just like all mankind. You're like the, uh. the wicked people. Uh, he's not appealing to religious tradition. He's he's appealing to uh, the wicked of the world. Right, right. And they're cut down before their time. These wicked people, they're swept. Their foundations are swept away by the flood. Oh, Yeshua even uses that sort of imagery. Mm -hmm. Build your house on the rock, and build your house on the sand. And when the floods come, the house on the rock will stand. They said to God, "Turn aside from us." And what did the Almighty do to them? He filled their houses with good. But the counsel of the wrong has been far away from me. Yeah, that's confusing. It's like he, he is using Job's words, which Job did just say in 21, verse 16, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Right. And yet he filled their houses with good things is what he was basically saying in chapter 21 as well. So it's, I don't quite understand. Yeah, he's he is putting words in Job's mouth and taking things out of and context. And taking things out of context. And and he's ascribing Job's words almost as though they're lies. Well, in fact, he has to take all of Job's words as lies if he's going to take the stance against Job. Because the only way to take the stance against Job is to think that Job is being unrighteous and lying about his own righteousness. About everything. Right. Yeah. 
And so he's taking his words and he's throwing them back at him. Mm-hmm. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Uh, yeah, there's some serious sarcasm in his in his words there. Yeah, yeah. And he's and he's putting words in Job's mouth, and he's uh, he's ascribing motives to Job, uh, reasons why he would even dare to go be wicked, be the, such this wicked guy, because he thinks God just doesn't see him and that he's going to escape mm-hmm. God's notice. Uh, it is confusing section, and and a lot of that can be attributed to poetry. Uh, the poetic nature of the book, uh, a lot of that can be attributed to just lack of just, understanding what their yeah the lack their of idioms tone. and tone and all of that right is. right because if it was sarcasm, we'd recognize it. We recognize sarcasm because of the tone the sarcasm is spoken in, mm-hmm. uh, which is why using sarcasm online can get you in a whole lot of trouble <laughs> unless you you tag it with sarcasm at the end of right of sarcasm something you say that's sarcastic. And so if if it is sarcasm, we're reading it here and we're going, oh, wait, he's saying something completely different than what he's been saying. And yet there's a good chance he's he's just being sarcastic and mocking, using Job's own words and throwing them back in his face after mm-hmm. stating that you're obviously wicked. But, Job, no, the, the counsel of the wicked's far from me. Oh, oh. Right. You know. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems like. Yeah. Which does make it super confusing. Uh, the poetic nature of this book also makes it extremely confusing as well, because uh, the poetry is very hard to translate, which is why sometimes we get some very different conclusions and verses between what your translation says, which is the TLV for those who are interested, and what my translation says, which is the ISR for those who are interested. And you can compare those with other translations, uh, ESV there's, there's and NET. Look through the ESV and the NET in comparison with these quite often, and uh, yeah, they, they always get so many different uh, ways that some of these phrases can be understood. Right. So yeah, then in chapter twenty-three and twenty-four, Job is doing something interesting. So in twenty-two, Eliphaz is coming at Job, and he's putting, he's saying "you," and then he's describing the qualities of a wicked man. Mm-hmm. So in 23, Job is going to say me and ascribe the qualities of a good man. And then he's going to say them and ascribe the qualities of the wicked. Right. I like how Job doesn't, isn't baited into a fight. Yeah. And and that shows a lot of maturity on his part because in previous times he kind of did at least... At least cut a little bit. Even last week, he was talking about, here, let me speak, and then you can mock as much as you want. Right, you know? right. But this, this week, he doesn't get baited. He doesn't, he just says, okay, let's talk this through. Let's be logical about this. Right, and, and he offers this contrast, which is why 24 can be so confusing, because he is ascribing qualities of the wicked people. His conclusion of what happens to them, though, is quite different. Mm-hmm. So in 23, Job is going on about how righteous he is. Well, first he says, I'm looking for God. If I could, I would stand in front of him. And I know that he would find me innocent. And then I could sit there with him and and just be in his presence. But I can't find him. And I'm looking for him. And I can anywhere I go, I can't find him. But I know that he knows the way that I take 
and if he tested me, I would come out as gold. Yeah, he is very confident in his own righteousness. In his own innocence. Uh, yeah, he's, he's way more confident than I think I would have any right to be. A sp and even when uh, I'm facing difficult times, mm -hmm. I'm facing difficulty, it is super common to just turn inward and go, where have I failed? What have I done wrong? What do I have to repent of? I, oh, I, absolutely. I, I've definitely done that. And I don't think that Job didn't do that. That's true. But he's done that. He's done that soul searching and he's and come he out says, the other I end. And he says, I don't have anything to repent right, for. Right. There's, there's nothing there. But then verse 11, then he starts, my foot has held fast to his steps. I've guarded his way. didn't turn aside. I haven't strayed from his command. I treasured up his words in my mouth. He makes complete my, my law and many like these are with him. I'm troubled in his presence. I consider I'm afraid of him. He's made me faint-hearted. He's alarmed me because I was not cut off before darkness. And from the face he has covered thick darkness. So he's saying, I've done everything God wanted me to do. I have, I'm innocent in his face. I'm innocent in his eyes. And yet he has alarmed me. He has, he has shocked me because he didn't go ahead and kill me when he took all this stuff away from me. Right. And there's that, there's that bit of desire for death still in there. I wish I would have died when all of this happened and that I didn't have to see this darkness. Almost like what's next? Like what else could happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to point out this because this is something that I grew up hearing. Mm -hmm. Humans are so eternally sinful that you can never go an entire day without sinning. So you must self-flagellate. Yeah, self-flagellate yourself every single day because you are a sinful person and you should always be repenting and always be repenting. And if there's anything that's ever wrong, you did it. And right. that's literally what I grew up hearing from different people. I did as well. And I don't think that that is a healthy way to view things. Right. I mean, all through scripture. There are individuals that God will point to and say they're a righteous person. Right, yeah. They Even Lot, even Lot, who was by our human reckoning, was not quite so righteous. <laughs> God calls him righteous. And we want to say, well, I can point out to some things that he did wrong. Yeah, we can. And we can point to David and we can point to Abraham and we can point to Moses and we can point to Aaron. And yeah, people do things wrong. Absolutely. And that is not to say that we don't. There is none righteous. No, not one. I understand that. But that does not mean that we cannot live a righteous life. That does not mean that we cannot be righteous in this lifetime. Right. And, and I think the issue comes down to uh, the idea of total depravity. Um, there's, uh, again, it's a Calvinist type ideal, uh, but it's the idea that we're completely, totally morally depraved people. And it's only by grace, God's grace that we can be brought up out of that. The, the issue then is be, once you're saved, once you're brought near to God, there's this, there's this thought that you can never actually reach God's standard like it's just so so far above you so high above you you're never going to get there and if you fail once then well you're 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 just guilty 
And that's true. You fail once, you're guilty. Repent. But that doesn't mean that you have to fail every day. And that doesn't mean that you will fail every day. Uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 30, says it. It's not too far from you. It's not up in the heavens that you need someone to go get it. It's not in the sea that you need someone to go get it and bring it to you. It's right here. It's It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. you. You can do this, guys. Right. The, the yoke is not heavy. It's it's a light burden when you learn to live with the, with this yoke. But make no mistake, it is a yoke. And if right. you, you buck against the yoke, then it, it is going to hurt you some. But yeah, the, the idea that even after salvation, that a person sins every day, not necessarily. Right. God changes thoughts. God changes hearts. He changes minds. And he, he teaches and he trains. And the longer you go, the further and further you go between sinful episodes. And that's what we should be striving for. And that is that is a noble goal. Right. But to, to paint this picture like that is completely out of reach. Impossible? Yeah. It makes a lot of people it's go. It's depressing. It's like, why point? bother? Right. Why would I continue to, to strive for something that I know is completely and utterly unattainable. Right. Yeah. And that, that is a difficult uh, uh, prospect to con- to continually attempt to reach something that you know you can never reach. But if, there, if you can reach it, if you know you can reach it, if we see characters who do reach it, I'm sure there were plenty of days where David didn't do anything wrong. He was right. didn't do anything egregious. Or Abraham. Or Abraham. Or, or Moses. Right. We right. we read that uh Zechariah and Elizabeth in in uh, Luke chapter 1, they were righteous before God and everything. Doesn't mean that they were sinless. It means that they had gotten to a point in their lives and in their relationship with God where they were happy living under his yoke and they were completely sold out to his will and they just did his things. Right. And the thoughts of doing otherwise didn't really even enter into their mind. And so that is that is something that is an important point. And Job gets to that point here. I, I am one of these guys. I I, I yeah. haven't done anything. I have not departed from his commands. Right. And and so he's defending himself. And then in chapter twenty four, he then goes into now this is the wicked man. The wicked man removes the landmarks. They rob and they feed on flocks. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless, and they take the widow's ox as a pledge, and on and on and on and on. And there are two verses in this, uh, at least two verses that I was able to spot, that get to the heart of what Job is trying to to say with this. Now, the first verse is found in uh, twelve. Found in verse twelve. Men groan in the city, and the beings of the wounded cry out. And God does not regard it as foolish. Okay, so he's saying all of these wicked things happen, these terrible things happen, and God isn't seeing it as foolish. He's not doing anything about it, in essence, here on earth. He's not coming down and judging each person individually, day by day, as they sin, and saying, well, you've sinned today, so you're going to have a bad day. But tomorrow, if you're righteous, I'll give you a good day, type thing. He's, He's not... That's not what happens at all. And he got into that last week when he looked out in the world and said, go look for yourself, the wicked prosper. Right. And we've seen it. I mean, there's so many very wealthy, well-to-do heathens. Right. Come on. 
We, I mean, there's not one astronomically rich person that I am aware of at all Mm -hmm. that actually loves and honors God. Yeah. Yeah, like like of the the filthy rich. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, that's there's part of that. There's a reason why we call it filthy rich. There's part of that parable of uh, serving God and Mammon, and uh, it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's as impossible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Uh, yeah, and uh, so then the other verse that really gets to the heart of what Job is saying it begins in verse 19. Um, a drought and heat snatch away snow waters. Sheol to those who have sinned. Uh, Yours is confusing. Yeah, Mine says, as heat and drought snatch away the melted snow, so Sheol takes away those who have sinned. Right. So his point is that the sinners, they're judged in the grave. The judgment of mankind doesn't happen here on the earth. And when it does, it happens in such vast, enormous uh, acts that you just cannot help but miss them. Uh, things like the flood or the plagues in Egypt or the events of Revelation. Uh, just enormous, huge events. The, the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple twice were acts of judgment. Right. When God judges, he judges entire people groups all at once. He doesn't judge the individual people in, as they're going through their lives and sinning. For the individual judgment, it happens in the grave. And that's what Job says, and that's actually good theology. Uh, that's that's what we see throughout the rest of the Bible, is that God judges when it comes time for the great throne judgment. Well, and he's he doesn't judge you by your in your your one action today. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, yes, there will be consequences for that action. Right. Sure. Absolutely. That is the natural cause and effect of this world. Right. But that's not necessarily judgment. It's just cause and effect. Now, there will be judgment and the the beauty of delaying judgment, which we also see throughout scripture, is that it gives you the chance to repent. Right. And if God just sitting up in the clouds with with lightning bolts, he's just going to zap you when you do something wrong. That is not a, a just God. Right. Because he wants you to repent. He wants you to return. He wants to give you the space in order for that to happen. Yeah, God wants people to repent. And and Eliphaz saw that. Eliphaz knew that. He wants God wants people to repent. And Eliphaz was not wrong in that. He's just wrong in his whole theology of how the wicked are treated on this earth. And, and then they're and drawing conclusions based on that of a person's righteousness or wickedness based on their circumstances. And the putting words in in Job's mouth and the unjust judgment right. that he's passing on Job. Right. In, in fact, uh, it just struck me that the view that Eliphaz has 
seems very much like the Indian caste system. The Indian or the Hindu caste system, for those who don't know, it's a, a four-tiered, five-tiered layer of, of people uh, where you have the you're born into your caste and you can never come out of your caste. And it's seen as a product of your karma, uh, your, your good or evil rating, basically. In your, uh, from, from your previous lives. Yeah. Um, so with all your, your karma points added up together, you are, when you're reborn, you're put in a place that, uh, in a, in a caste that reflects your karma rating. So the people who are rich and famous and, and in charge of things, they're all good people who are, who are born there because they're good people. And they have an opportunity to then rise or fall based on what they do in this life. And the people who are at the bottom, they're, they're, they're the wicked people from the past. They were wicked in a previous life. They did terrible things to their friends, their neighbors, which is why they're in this terrible situation now. Mm-hmm. And you're not to help them out of that situation. You can feed them in that situation. You can keep make them more comfortable in that situation, but they can never come out of that situation in this life. And that what Eliphaz is talking about, this idea that you're rewarded based on your goodness and you're, you're punished based on your evilness. It's very similar to that caste system with one difference. It's not Eliphaz, reincarnation. Well, it's... no, Eliphaz allows for repentance. Mm. He allows for movement through the caste system. If you repent and you're on the low, well, then guess what? You'll be moved to the high. And now you'll get to be one of the rich and famous and powerful if you repent of your evil. And it's such a such a twisted and wicked idea. Well, it's it is it is the prosperity gospel. It is the right. exact same lie that has been told through the ages. Right, and it's in a lot of different teachings, a lot of different. Uh, um, False gospels, if you will, false religions, mm-hmm. um, and we we even talked about it last week with the uh, with the new age where you're, this is happening to you because you're doing it to yourself. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. This week it's this is happening to you because well God's doing it to you uh, because you're you're just that evil and you're that wicked. You are totally depraved, Job, and you're suffering because of it. Yeah, you did this, and here's the list. Here's here's the list of things that you must have done. Right. So just remember, life doesn't work like that. The real world, the the real God of the universe, he doesn't judge us individually in our day-to-day actions, in our day-to-day lives. He doesn't. It's not instant judgment. Right. He does test us in our day-to-day lives. He does test us in our circumstances and environment. But it's not a judgment when you go through those. And we have to stop and we have to recognize that when we go through something terrible, it's not a judgment from God on your life. It's a test to see what you're going to do, how you're going to handle it. And I think, to I, I honestly think that it is always wise at the outset of any trial or test to examine ourselves right. and say, hey, where am I wrong? What did I sin? How did I sin? What do I need to repent for? Right. And that's an important aspect of the test is that it's always meant for our growth. And and the, the area that you need to change may not be an area of sin. 
It may be just an area of coming closer to know God better. And that's what we see with Job, is his area that he needed to change through this trial wasn't that he had sinned or that he'd done anything wrong. It's that God was calling him higher to a deeper understanding of who he is. Right. And that's something that we need to hold on to, is that after we have examined ourselves and examined our lives and said, where do I need to repent? If you can honestly look at your life and say, I can't find anything, then you need to shift your perspective and say, okay, if this isn't about sin, what is it about? What do I need to do? How can I grow? How can I change? What do I need to do? Is this for me? Or is this for those around me? Right. Well, I should always assume that there's an aspect of it that's for you. Sure. Um, Even for Job, there was an aspect of this that's for him. And we all get to learn because of his experience. But Job himself, he had to learn as well. And this entire thing was for him to learn. Yeah. So let's just remember that as we as we face life and as we go through trials, that they're not there as punishment. They're there as training and as refining and as a call upwards and closer to God. So seek life in all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.